Welcome to California Groundbreakers, a place that sets trends, starts movements, and shakes up how things are done around the world. We're inviting interesting people doing innovative things to sit down and talk with us about how they're asking and answering the big questions facing all Californians. Our goal is to inspire change across the state, one conversation at a time. Because 2020 marks the 100th anniversary of the 19th Amendment, which gave women in the U.S. the right to vote, we've started a new series called The Women in Charge. Throughout the year, we'll be doing live Q&As with California women who are doing groundbreaking things in policy, politics, and government matters, both here in the Golden State and around the nation. For this podcast, we're talking with the women in charge of getting other women to run. While California isn't near the top of the list when it comes to gender parity in its local and state elected offices, it is home to some innovative organizations that focus on getting more women elected and appointed to top spots on local, state, and national levels. Join us for a conversation with women who lead these organizations about how they get other women inspired to run for political office, how they help them get funding and donor support, and how they'll train the next generation of political leaders so they will succeed. Hello everyone, welcome to California Groundbreakers. We're a civic engagement organization focused on innovators doing groundbreaking things around the state of California. And my name is Vanessa Richardson, I'm the executive director. It is 2020 and because this year marks the 100th anniversary of the 19th Amendment, which gave women in the US the right to vote, we have started a new series called The Women in Charge. And throughout the year, we are doing live Q&As with California women who are doing groundbreaking things in policy, politics, and government matters, both here in the Golden State and around the nation and even around the world. Now, this one focuses on women in charge of organizations that convince women to run for government office and apply for top government positions. Then they educate and train them to run for effective campaigns, and also very important, how to get funding needed to run effective campaigns so they can win. Now, California is definitely progressive, as we all know, and cutting edge in so many ways, but not when it comes to gender parity in the state's legislature. I was reading that according to a study last year by the Center for American Women in Politics, we rank 21st in the nation. Just 31.7% of legislative seats are filled by female lawmakers in California. I want to know if anyone knows who is tops. It is one of our neighbors, one of our surrounding states. Does anyone know? Someone says Arizona. Someone said Nevada. It is Nevada. They have 52.4% of their seats in legislation, uh, legislature filled by women. And our other western neighbors are in the top five. Colorado is number two. They've got 47%. Oregon is number three with 42%. Washington State has 41.5%. Then there's Vermont over there, 40%, and then after that, number six is Arizona at 38.9. So we're at 31.7, so we have a little catching up to do. And that's what these women up here that we're gonna be talking to tonight are gonna be telling us. They run innovative organizations that are getting more women elected and appointed to top spots on local, state, and national levels. And a few of their top staffers are here. 
to talk about how they're doing that. And I thought it was a great time to have this discussion because uh, we are a few days away from Super Tuesday, the primary, and California is voting. Uh, uh, many of us are voting for Democratic candidates. Two of them are women, Amy Klobuchar, Elizabeth Warren. And I think as many of us know, they've been up and down in the polls. They have been criticized. They have been lauded. They got a joint endorsement from the New York Times as their pick for president. Um, so they're still up there with the men when it comes to being strong contenders. So we'll probably be talking about their campaigns a bit when we're up here tonight. Before we get started in the conversation, I do want to give a few special thanks to people who helped make this event possible. We're holding this event tonight. This is our first time here at the Russ Room in downtown Sacramento. It's above Solomon's Deli. And I want to thank Andrea Lepore and her team, Elise, whose name I'm probably going to botch, but Andrea, Elise, and all of you, thanks very much for putting this event on and helping us make it possible. It's a great space. Also to our volunteer extraordinaire, Rod Ramirez, for uh, uh, checking people in and always being a solid rock of support. And to our audio engineers behind me, Caleb Clark and Nick Graham of Kickstart Audio, thank you for recording and making us all sound great. Of course, to the panelists for being here and taking time out of your busy schedule. And of course, to you, the audience, for taking time out of your schedule as well. So I start with the questions, and then we take audience questions. I figured I would, um, I let the panelists introduce themselves. I'll start on my right and go down the way. So obviously, we'd like to know your name, what organization you're with briefly. And then I always like to ask a personal note about you related to this theme, women running for office. I was wondering what your, what woman in policy, politics, or government has inspired you, personally or professionally, but you just saw her you know, kicking butt, doing what she, she uh, was doing, and that really inspired you. So we'll start with name, organization, inspiring woman in uh, politics policy. And we're gonna start with the woman on my right. Hi, my name is Lindsay Nita. I'm with California Women Lead. Um, there are so many women, um, elected officials and leaders that um, I really look up to and have been great mentors. Um, I'll look to somebody here locally in Sacramento. She's running for city council right now. Her name is Mai Vang. She is a young millennial um, Hmong woman who is just kicking butt, working hard, and really staying true to her roots and um, working hard for the communities that she's looking to represent. She puts in the effort every single day um, and stays humble. And um, so she just um, is a great inspiration and light. And um, even though she's younger than me, I, I live up to be um, my thing when I grow up. <laughs> Thank you, Lindsay. And I did want to give special thanks to Lindsay, too. Um, she is filling in for Mona Pasquale, who's the board president of California Women Lead, who just got hired by Facebook to run their policy shop. And it sounds like big things are going on. Mona couldn't make it, and Lindsay uh, graciously you stepped in. You got stuck in. with me. I'm sorry. Uh, we appreciate that. Thank you very much. All right, next up. Uh, my name is Samantha Helton. I am with Fund Her. You can't see this because this is a podcast, but there is a funder sticker on a laptop over there that I am hyping right now. So, uh, Women who inspire me in California government are women like Betty Yee and Malia Cohen. These are two women who know money, and they are in charge of a lot of it with California's top fourth economy. I respect that the work that they do every day, and for me, they are a true inspiration. 
And there might be some people who have heard the name, but aren't they weren't were, sure what office they hold. So Betty Yee and the other Malia Cohen. She's Malia the Cohen. chair of the Board of Equalization, and Betty Yee is a, the state controller. And so California's fourth largest economy in the world. I think we're up to four. We were at five. We're up to four. I think we're up at four. Wow. I think we're up at four. And so you're just talking about two extremely powerful women who came up through local government, through good policy, strong organizing, and are representative of the California that we all live in. I love them both. Great. So we passed Germany, it seems like. Very exciting. All right, next up. Thank you so much, Vanessa, for having me. And for mentioning Nevada, I want to do a shout out to my uh, sisters in Emerge Nevada. A lot of them got elected to the Nevada State Legislature, and that's the reason why it was the first um, legislature in the country to be uh, majority female. My name is Melanie Ramel. I'm the new executive director of Emerge California. We are a statewide political nonprofit that trains Democratic women to run for elected office. I'm the first executive director based in Sacramento, so happy to be here and based out of SAC. 916. And Represent. Exactly. And if she was going to be here, I was going to say this anyways, but actually one of my first inspirations um, working in and around the building was Mona Pascal. Um, I'm Filipina, and to see a woman, a Filipina in charge and leading campaigns and in important positions and being herself, being authentic, being Mona, being wonderful, kind, bringing women up behind her and being firm and doing her job and doing it well and being a boss was so inspiring to me as a young Filipina. So, Lindsay, you have to make sure that Mona listens to the podcast recording so she can hear all the praise. Yes, definitely. She loves it. And she'll be really uh, hearted to hear uh, Melanie say that because Melanie is a great mentor and inspiration to many women. I have to mention, though, Mona's our board president. Emily Cohen is our, um, also just recently joined our board. Um, so it's really also heartwarming that we are on the right track. We have great women leading the way um, behind the scenes, too. A lot of connections. And last but not least on the panel. Hello, everyone. My name is Esmeralda Cortez Rosales. I am Ignite National's West Coast Program Manager. I came all the way to Sacramento from Oakland, California, so I definitely did a long way just to be here with all of you, so I'm really grateful. I'm going to say someone who I believe is inspiration to all of us here, and that's Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez. Um, she has been a powerhouse woman since the moment I was following her campaign on Instagram. And that says a lot about a young person that can follow somebody's journey in politics on Instagram. And so another thing that really inspired me about AOC is that when I said my name to you, Esmeralda Cortez Rosales, not only did I say it in Spanish, but I said both my last names. And then to see someone that is able to translate that same thing at a high level like AOC is definitely inspiration for me and I think a lot of um, young women around the country and so I'll leave it at that. And well I I usually keep my politics close to my vest have to be nonpartisan but I would say as a fellow Boricua Puerto Rican uh, uh, AOC is is very cool. So great choices thank you very much panelists and I have a question for each of you I'm going to start with Lindsay because I, I think I want all of you to go into a little detail about your organizations and what you do in this realm. So we're going to start with California Women Lead. I was reading up on it, so I, I was going to ask Mona this question, but you can fill in. You can fill in. But I thought it was interesting when I was reading the history of California Women Lead, which I think is one of the oldest 
organizations focused on getting women, uh, not nonpartisan organizations, getting women into office. They started, I think, right around the time that Jerry Brown was first uh, picked as governor, voted in as governor around 1974. And apparently the women from the uh, California Women Lead, it was named something else before, went into his office literally with a binder full of women, remember that term, in front of Jerry Brown, and he was he was uh, amenable to having women, uh, he listened to them, and he started appointing women. 36 years later, flash forward, he ab appointed many women, I, I'm, I'm not sure what the percentage is, but obviously Mona Paschal, who we're talking about here and praising, was his appointments secretary, that's a very powerful position. So now fast forward, Fast forwarding to what California Women Lead does now, tell us what you're focusing on and what the role of California Women Lead is. Yeah, we're a very um, organization, one of the first to really um, build a voice for women um, elected officials and women that wanting to run for elective office and being appointed. Um, so we've gone through a lot of transformation over the years. Um, as uh, Vanessa mentioned, we used to be called uh, California Elected Women Association for Education and Research. And one of their first interns actually was Holly Mitchell, writing white papers. Yes, she's an astounding woman. Um, and she's currently on our board, still doing great things and very involved. And um, back then she was writing white papers on the importance of having more women in um, these leadership positions and adding their voice to these very important spaces. Um, and we, and that still is the heart of what we do um, at California Women Lead, which is our current um, name and brand. Um, we work not just for elected office, but in um, really the heart of uh, bread and butter and where we think uh, people should really look towards, and it was definitely women should really look towards, um, finding leadership positions is in appointed office, I'm sorry, appointed positions. It can be local, it can be regional, it can be statewide, but those, um, there's a ton of them. You get great experiences. There's an appointment for any interest that you have, whether it be we were talking about animals. Um, we're talking about um, if you're a beautician, there's a licensee board for that. Literally anything that you care about, there's probably a board that's pushing um, that issue forward and improving that community. So um, that's something that we really focus on um, and really think is important because a lot of people don't really understand the importance of being appointed in the um, commissions and boards that are available to them. And I would say just um, generally looking to build women leadership um, and really empowering women to take the next step. And that might not be elected office for everybody, um, definitely not for me, but um, maybe appointed position or maybe in your career, where how you can be in a leader in your community and make an impact on the things that really matter to you. We really want to support that and have that personal connection and help you um, you know, find where your um, your interest and where you um, can make your most impact. That's what um, we're geared towards and leaning, and um, that's the heart of what we do. Great, thank you for that. And Melanie, you're up because Emerge California does something similar. I did read that you recently announced your class of 2020, the largest class of candidates in your 18-year history. So uh, I wanted you to talk about how you picked your newest class, like what's notable about this class, and how you pick your candidates. Great, thank you. And first, I'd love to shout out to two of our current 
program members in the class of 2020, Julie Damron in our Central Valley cohort right here, and Esmeralda sitting next to me, are in our class of 2020, our biggest class ever of 66 women. As I shared, Emerge California is the state's premier candidate training for Democratic women who want to run for elected office. We've been around since 2003. We recruit, we train, and we support women to run for elected office. And it works. We have trained over 600 women since 2003. Today, I left my fact sheets on a lot of the chairs. Today, of the 600 women we've trained, over 100 of them are serving in elected office, including Malia Cohen, Chair of the Board of Equalization, Lieutenant Governor Eleni Kunalakis, Assemblymember Re Rebecca Bauer-Cahan. She was our first alum elected to the state legislature. Six mayors, including San Francisco Mayor London Breed, Oakland Mayor Libby Schaff, and over 40 women um, in elected office from city council, county supervisor, uh, college trustee, school board. And so when our women, when Emerge California alum run for office, they win almost 70% of that time. So let me say again, when our women are on the ballot, they will win almost 70% of the time in their first run for elected office. Wow. Oh, so it sounds... <laughs> it works. It, it sounds like you have an effective training program. Yes, it, it's effective, it works. And I'm the new executive director. I'm almost coming up on one year. Coming in, I'm asking myself, what is the secret sauce? I understand what the training looks like. It's six months long. It is the only training program that is that in-depth and that long. We work with all of our partners, such as Emily's List and others, um, and they may do one- and two-day trainings. But Emerge California is the only long-term candidate training for Democratic women. And as I watch the first year, and we, we work with these women for six months, we go over fundraising and your ground game, communications. I'm, I found exactly what that secret sauce was, and it's the sisterhood and the camaraderie and the support amongst all the women there in the room. Because what you're seeing are women who want to change the world, who are passionate, who are doing a scary thing and recognizing that and want to support each other doing it. And so for the class of 2020, our biggest class ever, I'm so proud of it. We have 66 amazing women from across California, um, from San Diego up through Sacramento. And what we do when we recruit and we are selecting women for the program is we simply look for leadership experience and your passion. Have you been passionate about something? Have you been working on something? Have you been a leader in your community? And can we help you turn your passion into a place where you're in elected office and using your lived experiences to advocate for others who aren't in that spot at that, at that dais um, or making that vote? And so what we saw in the class of 2020, not only is it our largest, it was our most competitive. I know coming off the year of the woman in 2018, when we had 56 women win in elected office two years ago, we had a flood of applications for the class of 2020. How many total do you remember, or approximately how many applied? Um, over 100. So in Northern California, where we train our class in each cohort is about 20 to 25 women, we had three times the applications for our Northern California class because that's where we've been training since 2003. 
In Southern California, we've been training for about seven years. In our newest class, shout out to Julie, Central Valley. That was our class that I say was built on the heartbreak post the 2016 election, turned positive energy, came our way, and we built the Central Valley cohort so that we could be part of the movement to turn Central Valley blue. And so we are now uh, training in the Central Valley so that women in the Central Valley are running for elected office. Great. Thank you. And Samantha, I wanted to ask you for, about FundHer. It's a, a pack. Remind me, politically active? Political Action Committee. Political Action Committee. So obviously, uh, I read this a lot. I think this is a common knowledge that women typically, women candidates typically have less access to financial capital and get fewer donations from individual donors than men do. I guess that's across the board nationwide. Now FundHer plans to change that all up and it's, it's working on that. So just give us a summary of, of how FundHer as a PAC is doing that, getting more funding to women candidates. Yeah, it's actually a need when we launched. Our founder went up and down the state trying to figure out a hole where we could help, where we could add our voices to this chorus of change that we've really felt. and. It turned out just because of the strengths of myself and the founder and our other staff person, Adina Brin, that it was fundraising. As you noted, it's not only in the United States, in California, it's worldwide that women lack traditional access to these corporate boards, to people who can cut, a, so just so folks know, um, the maximum amount you can receive by law in California for your state assembly or Senate race is $4,700. It's quite a bit of money, and a lot of women who are really doing the hard work in their communities don't have established networks of people that can go through and give them those types of checks. So FundHer was created to pool the resources of women who believe that progressive women need to lead this state so that we can hopefully someday lead this nation and get money in and then cut it right back out to those women who are running. And not only did Funder Her identify that there's lack of uh, traditional resources to women running for state senate and assembly, when people run locally, when women run locally, they're just, they need those resources just as much. We felt it even more acutely at the local level. And FundHer has recently launched a program to fund women running at the local level as well. What type of candidates are you looking for? We focus on progressive democratic women who are high leverage opportunities, both in California and across the nation. So in California, we have races across the state where strong progressive women are running to represent their communities. We also just finished up an election in Virginia where two of our uh, candidates, endorsed candidates, actually won their seats. They were contributed with the flip and have subsequently helped ratify the Equal Rights Amendment. And it's just the important work that women do and that we bring to the table. And I feel just so proud to be among the panelists here today as part of that chorus of change. Great. And Esmeralda? Last but not least, first of all, thank you for coming from Oakland. It sounds like traffic was really, really bad. So I really appreciate it. And we'll get you a drink after this uh, is over. But uh, Ignite National is based in Oakland. And um, 
your focus is on getting civically engaged young women all the way down to grade level, like kindergarten level, uh, on the path to becoming the next generation of political leaders, which sounds really great, really interesting. So I wanted you to give us a summary of you know, what programs uh, Ignite runs to accomplish that, you know, grade school all the way up, and what are a, a couple of success stories so far? Okay, so Ignite National is a nonpartisan national organization, and so part of our organization truly believes that in order to reach gender parity in the United States, we need to look across all aisles. And so I just wanted to make that statement before I go into some success stories and some of our curriculum. Um, so you mentioned going into all the way to kindergarten. So what does that look like? You just show these young girls in the kindergarten level a picture of all the presidents we've ever had in the United States. And what do you find? we find that there are no women that they see. And so it's little introductions like that at such a young level um, that really starts to make that, plants a seed in them at so young. And so once you start going up into the high school level, um, there's curriculums. One of my personal favorites is where we have them draw out a board of their community. This can be their neighborhood, this can be the whole state, just something that they can visualize. We have them draw everything that's in their community. Do you have a liquor store? Do you have a um, park in your neighborhood? Just draw it all out. And then we have them draw what they would like to see. Well, I want a supermarket. I want something that has healthy options in my grocery store. I actually want a rec center because we don't have one. And so what I have them do is I have them um, all be proposals. I'll have um, the facilitator be the mayor and then they'll propose it. And the mayor will approve one project. And so it's little introductions like that, and part of our curriculum is also tied in by introducing the young women with people who are running for office, who have won uh, their seats. Um, and it's introductions like that, and having that one-on-one -on -one, uh, meetings and conversations that really starts to change um, their perspective and say, you know what, I can run for office, and you know what, I will, and I'm gonna win. And so some of our success stories, um, we have plenty, so many that I, it's kind of hard for me to choose off of, um, but I want to just highlight two. Um, one is um, Carla Garcia, she did our high school programming, which I just talked about briefly, and she won school board her um, a first ever run at the age of about 22 years old at school bill level in Texas. That was huge. Um, and I also want to shout out um, myself. And the only reason why I want to do this, <laughs> I, I want to do this um, for a specific reason. I kind of want to give you um, how impactful a program like Ignite is um, to young women when you're in high school. So when I was 10 years old, um, my brother was shot and killed three minutes away from my house. He was 18 years old and he had his whole life ahead of himself. And I grew up in East Oakland, and this is not something that's unique. It was a pattern that I started to see. Three years later, what happened again to my best friend, his, her older brother would also be shot and killed, also 18 years old. And so now I'm starting to see how it's not about my anger, it's about my community's collective pain and anger. And so Ignite came into my life at about 10th grade, um, which I hope some of you are in that grade level right now, and if you are, I'd love to talk to you after, but it started to connect the dots for me. What is it that's happening in your community, and how is that related back to politics? It's simple questions like that. It's not 
the secret sauce is that they're simple questions. We're just not asked these simple questions, right? And so um, now I'm 23 years old and I'm running for Oakland City Council in the district that I was born and raised. Um, and as of right now, my district has the lowest people registered to vote and to top it off the lowest turnout out of all of Oakland. And so we have a lot of work to do, um, but I think that Ignite is definitely planting that seed so that our young women can then go and train at programs like Ignite, then and go get funded by um, all these packs across California. And so um, I also want to give a shout out to Magdalia and the CSU Sacramento group back here. They have um, their own Ignite chapter in college, so we go all the way up to college. There, uh, if you want to have any questions about the college world, you can definitely go talk to our CSU Sacramento chapter. I should actually say before, I think they're in Sacramento later on, well, uh, it's still February, but at the end of March, there will be a training program at CSU for high school and college students. And then the day after is like a day at the Capitol, right? To to uh, look at a bill that my view has about pre-registering young people to vote. So we, yeah, <laughs> this year, um, it's actually very unique what we're doing this year. We're par pairing up our um, Young Women One conference on Sunday, and then the next day on Monday, we're taking 100 girls to the Capitol, and we're storming, and we're going to go um, advocate on some bills, which I cannot disclose yet, just because they're not fully chosen yet. We're still waiting on Central Valley and Southern California to choose their top three bills. Um, but a little bit on the conference, it's a whole day conference where we have breakout sessions people from Facebook um, and Chase, for example, giving people ideas on what does it mean to fundraise? What does it look like to use social media? Um, and then we have lunch with women, uh, and that are ha women that are in elected office or women that are also in the political realm. Um, and then we close it out with an opportunity fair. So when we invite women who are running for office um, and we say, hey, we're gonna have about 200 women here. Come get some volunteers, come get some interns. We close it out the next day, we're gonna go to the Capitol and advocate for both. So March 29th and 30th, great. And then I think Melanie wanted to add something on to that too. As I'm listening to everyone up here speak and share out about our organizations, I don't know if you noticed, but we all know each other. And the reason why we all know each other is because we work together. So we are so lucky that here in California, we truly have a strong ecosystem that is supporting and elevating women into government and elected seats. So as you look at Ignite and you are in kindergarten through 12th grade through college, I know you have chapters in college as well, we invite Ignite women to come to Emerge California events so that they can hear from our alum who are in our elected office. If women in my program want to start their political pathway by getting appointed to office, I reach out to California Women Lead and send them there. Then once they're running for office, I make sure they know about Fund Her so that they're supporting on the fundraising side. There's Close the Gap, Emily's List. We all work together and we do so purposefully because we know we need to address gender parity in California. I just wanted to make sure that we all recognize we all know each other because of this reason. That's great. And, <laughs> and that does tie into my uh, next question that I want to open up to all or any of you to to uh, answer, it is about the ask. Because I have seen, again, like the, the fundraising differences between um, male and female candidates, and also the decision to run. Like men, I've read in many studies and surveys, men just decide, I want to run. And when they ask women, what made you decide to run for uh, any position, I guess the, the most common answer has been, well, 
someone asked me to, or someone suggested that I do, I do, and I thought, ah. So it sounded like um, women typically, compared to men, don't decide on their own to run. Not maybe that has changed, but just it sounds like they are. They're more likely to run only after they've been asked to run. So I was wondering if that has changed. And then say they they're not going through the the network. How do you how do you get how well you already know like how to um, identify strong candidates, but how do you get them convinced to run when you find a recruit and encourage them to run? Samantha, would you like to start? So I think there's a statistic that says that women have to be asked five times before they will run. So if you haven't asked a woman to run five times, if you've only asked her three, like get those two asks in because it actually really matters. But I noticed just from my on the ground work that that culture is shifting, that you're seeing women who are tired of their communities being left behind and they know that they can do the job. They can represent their communities and do it proud, bring the money back to their districts. And we have a great organization in um, Close the Gap as well that does a lot of this recruiting. I don't know how you identify everyone, but I think as women grow through the political networks and up through whatever political ambitions they, they want to start at, this is a very open and welcoming network and we're all talking about these different programs and opportunities for women who are at all interested. And I hope that as people just kind of get into the fold and start looking for resources, that we're all really easy to find. Um, I, this question might be for you, Lindsay, um, but for everybody too. But in terms of, I, I think because we are just a few blocks from the state, and I, I've noticed a lot of uh, people who come to Groundbreaker events work in or around the Capitol. And um, appointments, like we were mentioning, to boards on any level, um, they may not know how to get it. How do you find? How do you find? And how how do you find them? How do they find you? How do you get people to know and to start running for these boards, these appointments? Is there a certain skill set needed, or you know, because it seems like there's so many, but it could be things that don't, people don't know about. Yeah, I don't think there's a certain skill set to go for a point of position or even run for office. You have to be passionate and care and have a vision and just want to see change in your community. I don't necessarily think, and you, there, there are skills that are important and can help you be more successful, but those things can be learned along the way. I don't think that's feeling like there's some skills that magically make you more uh, appointable or more electable is really care. It's really um, you have the passion and drive to um, to represent your community and see change in your community. Um, we really think that um, talking, you know, like Melanie has um, talked about the sisterhood, it's really going out there and talking to communities, talking to groups that are organizing and people that are doing the work and um, trying to change their community and talking to them and um, learning about people um, and the individuals that are part of that work and just trying to meet with them. Because like we've said, it's changing, but we still have to reach out and be a support system for the women that are doing the hard work and helping them and supporting them to lift them up and get them into uh, either elected positions or appointed positions or just leadership roles where um, they can you know, utilize their passion and the skills that they have. And so um, I don't know if that really is a great answer to the question, but I just think that 
individuals, um, we shouldn't count ourselves out. We should be really inclusive, bring people in, and everybody has a part to play and can be really supportive um, and really make a difference. So it is um, kind of, it's a hard work, it's tedious work, but we really, as California Women Lead, we really enjoy being connected to the community, learning more about our communities and seeing um, what women are doing and how we can support them. I did want to ask a, a question related to that for all of you to answer about skill sets. Because I was wondering, especially in 2020, it is, uh, everyone just, well, it does seem like this is a uh, campaign that people are really paying attention to, um, local, state, and national level. So skill sets, I'm wondering, are there skill sets now that women need in particular to run a successful campaign this year? Um, or not? I mean, are, there, are they always like the, you know, the skills that you always need to have? Or are there some specifically that you are emphasizing more um, this year over others? So who would like to start with that? Samantha? Well, from a procedural standpoint, and I think Lindsay can attest to this, if you're interested in applying to a board or commission, you most likely work through your city government, and you can go on their website and potentially apply for any board and commission that they have open through their city website. Lindsay helped me out with this not too long ago, and I got appointed to our animal care services board in Sacramento. So anybody can do it. Like Lindsay said, don't count yourself out. And it's actually quite an easy process, and there's a group to help you through it. Um, what are the skill sets that women need to run for office? You need to be tireless, and you need to have thick skin are my two things. Because if you're going to go out and do good work for your community, it's a lot of work just making sure your community knows who you are and the work that you want to do and that you have the support system and the wherewithal to get through the aggressive nature of the campaign. Melanie. One of the things that we talk about in, at Emerge California is authenticity. Bringing your authentic self, your stories, your personality to your candidacy. The most electable you, what one of our trainers say, the most electable you is your authentic, genuine self. And we're seeing a lot of that with women candidates. 20 years ago, women candidates, the approach for women candidates was to act like men because we saw men were successful as candidates. And so we would hide the fact that we were moms, that we were breastfeeding at home, that we had young kids, that we needed to um, work with our partners to take care of our kids. That's happening less and less. As you're watching a lot of candidates, um, women candidates run, they're talking about being young moms. They're talking about what it's like to raise young kids while they're running. They're talking about breastfeeding. They're talking about all of these issues that they're going to bring um, not only to their candidacy, but to their posts as elected officials. And so we talk about telling your story and telling it authentically. Because what we've seen over years is as consultants and others try to shape you into that quote unquote perfect candidate, you start to being a version of yourself that you don't know that you're not bringing your lived experiences to your candidacy and that's one of the things we talk about and i just wanted to share um, to your earlier question another thing we see with women and why generally all of these are generalizations of course women need to be asked so many more times than men is what we frame at emerge california as imposter syndrome i shouldn't be here i'm not going to run 
good enough to run for office. I'm not qualified yet. Someone else is better than me. I'm better in the background. I'm better as a staff person. And all of the narrative that we tell ourselves why we're not good enough and why someone else should be in that spot. But as Lindsay said, and as um, Sam said, if you have a passion, if you have a value set, if you're tireless, if you want to represent your community and have that voice, we, this group up here and a whole lot of other women and organizations that we're working with are ready to help you do that and be that voice in your community. I want to uh, start encouraging people to line up at the mic there at the end of the stage if you have great questions, and I know you do. We always get great questions from the audience. And while you're lining up, I do have a question about fundraising. I know I mentioned that. It just seems like such a, oh my goodness. That sounds like the hardest thing in terms of me having to fundraise and always having to fundraise. And then you see how much, uh, you know, uh, Michael Bloomberg is putting in so many hundreds of millions of dollars. So obviously on a local level, it's not that. But still, it takes money to run a campaign and to, to see it through. So I was wondering, is it easier to do these days now that you know women are regularly running more for office? Is it easier for them to, to raise money? Um, and, but what, what still needs to be done for women to achieve parity on that level with male candidates? Samantha. Sorry. Um, Something that points out to me as sort of structural change that we've seen in, we called the blue wave in 2018, we saw a lot of women elected to the state government and it forced in conjunction with a very strong first partner and a receptive governor, actual structural change. Our tax code used to get taxed on tampons. You're no longer taxed on tampons. Used to be a tax on diapers. You're no longer, there's no longer a diaper tax. Expanded paid family leave was uh, passed last year. And in addition, getting more women onto corporate boards. That access to wealth and the people who have it is something that has been identified in the legislature as a place where California falls behind. And I think as we move forward, we need to look at those access points. I don't think it's ever easy to ask people to give you money, but at the end of the day, a candidate is selling their authentic self. They're building momentum. They're building something that their community can feel proud to support. So you don't really have to ask. You're, you're having people help and come as part of your team and really join the movement. Melanie. And one of those things I also wanted to mention as far as structural change as we talk about women in fundraising is things like what Assemblymember Rob Bonta did last year with his child care bill. Candidates can now use campaign, their campaign funds for child care expenses. That is huge. That is happening state by state now. And I'm proud at Emerge California that we supported that bill. And we now have a child care fund where we give current program members child care grants because they're out training with us every weekend. And if I can't get them to a training because they need child care, I'm going to pay for their child care so they could be there on the weekend and start to reduce some of the barriers that women have getting into elected office. The second thing I want to say around fundraising and women is we generally know when women are fundraising for a cause, we fundraise the F out of that cause. <laughs> we can raise millions. When we start fundraising for ourselves, 
for it. Oh, wait, can you give? Oh, wait, maybe, don't worry, it's okay. Just show up at the event. And we start to talk ourselves out of it because we think we're taking something from people. But what I'm working to do with our um, Emerge California program members and um, the women that go through our training is to reframe fundraising. And what we need to see it as is we're giving people agency to partake in the political process and put their money behind someone they support. Because still today, the world as it is, it's not the world I want it to be. I don't want fundraising to make this much of a, to have this much of an influence on who gets elected. But it does still today. It's still the number one factor of viability. So if you're looking to get endorsements from all the elected officials, from your labor unions, from your Democratic Party, they're going to look at how much you fundraise. And if that's still the case today, I need to help make sure you're a strong fundraiser. And I need to do that first by making sure that you're psychologically strong to fundraise. And you can ask for that money. And you can ask for that $4,700. And you can get on the phone and call people for two hours. And so I just wanted to share that as well as a barrier for women in fundraising. And Esmeralda, I don't want to put you on the spot, but since you are running for office right now, city council, I mean, it's not Bloomberg level, but still, what's it like for you having to fundraise? Is it, are you taking to it? Is it, you're learning? What's it is it like? definitely the most difficult thing I would have to say in the campaign. And for what reasons? Um, so my seat from multiple sources have been told that I have to fundraise at least $100,000 for a city council seat in Oakland. And so when I heard that number, I'm like, wow, I work for a nonprofit. I don't even see those figures. So to be able to have to fundraise that, um, and of course over a year, I think it's really what Melanie is saying. It's a change of framework that you have to really teach yourself. And something that I really appreciated um, from Emerge this past training was that we had um, a section out of our training to do call time. And so all I heard was women all over the room with me doing call time. And that in itself um, just gives you a booster, you know. And how does that play out as well? I want to go back to um, being a mom. Maya Whitaker uh, ran for Oakland City Council District 6 in 2018. Um, she was also an Emerge alumni and was also an Ignite National alumni. Um, and I ended up being her campaign manager in 2018. What did that look like? She has a son, she's a single mother, and in the hot summer, uh, we didn't know that we can do childcare expenses um, with the money that we, okay, so in 2018, that wasn't a thing. So what did we do? <laughs> we bought um, a red wagon and we put that wagon together. I was pulling, his name is Kai, I was pulling Kai with me as we were door knocking in the hot summer. Um, in the hot summer, pull, we had a wagon pulling a, a young boy. Um, and that's, that's the different kind of barriers that we are going through as women. Um, we shouldn't have to buy red wagons, although it was really cute for pictures <laughs> and everything. I was hot and sweaty, and I would not like to do that again. So very happy about that. But fundraising, hands down, um, what I hear from a lot of women um, is that it is definitely the hardest thing when it comes to running for city council or anything above. How about we take our first question at the mic? Thank you. It's actually sort of a good segue because you're talking about fundraising. And one of the things that I was really curious about is I heard you all talking about your organizations. And I'd like to maybe hear from each of you is how are your organizations supported? Um, I know some of you are nonprofits. Um, usually PACs are not nonprofits. Um, so that was just something that struck me because you're doing such important work. But I'd love to know how you sustain yourselves. Why don't we start with Esmeralda and then work our way down? 
So part of that beautiful thing that I mentioned in the beginning of our curriculum, we sell our curriculum <laughs> to high schoolers. So that's part of how we're um, trying to get more revenue in. But a lot of it is just applying to grants. So we just got a really big grant from Cal Endowment to focus in on Central Valley and then San Diego area. Um, I can't tell you too much more beyond that, but selling our curriculum and applying to grants everywhere. And Melanie. Yes, thank you for that question. Emerge California is actually a non-PAC 527 organization, meaning we are not a 501c3. Uh, donations to Emerge California are not tax deductible, and we are a partisan organization. And so what that means is we are 95% funded by individuals who care and support our movement. And when I talk about fundraising and needing to reframe and needing to do call time and needing to get over the hump and the scare, I just did call time this morning and I was scared and I was nervous and I was trying to procrastinate, watch Gilmore Girls instead of do my call time. But I just trained on fundraising with our class of 2020 this weekend and I said, I see all my women doing call time, I have to do it for Emerge California too. Samantha. Uh, FundHer is a political action committee. We have a PAC that supports candidates, and we also have PACs that do independent expenditures. All of it is available online at the Secretary of State. You can look at any of our donors and any of our expenditures. It's all public record. We are funded by over 900 individual donors. We have donors that give $25 a month. We have been really fortunate to have some celebrity engagement and some major donor engagement, and, but it's all online, but it's, it's through personal donations and through people who are invested in getting progressive women elected. And Lindsay. We are a 501c3. We are a nonpartisan organization, so we help all women. Um, if they're interested in appointed or elected positions, we'll support them and um, provide them the training and resources that they need and uh, personal coaching or um, assistance. Um, we are 100%. We fundraise by donations. We are. Um, we don't apply for grants um, currently, so it's. Like Melanie said, making those calls, having those meetings, putting ourselves out there um, every day is a really big push. So um, it's hard, <laughs> it's a lot of effort, um, but again, it's well worth it and it's something that um, we think is um, something worth supporting. So. And in the spirit of working up the courage to make the ask, if you all are interested in contributing to Emerge California, emergeca.org, we have a contribute button at the top. That was very scary that I just asked you that. And this is Samantha. I would please like to encourage Esmeralda to please apply for fund her money. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. I was partly I was curious because I do work for a nonprofit. And I'm in development, and so I'm always curious to know how other nonprofits are sustained. And especially if you can't get grants or have individual donors or there's limitations, it's always sort of fascinating to know how you build that business model. So thank you. And Lindsay wanted to add something to that. And I'm sorry. I have to give a shout out to our board members. We have a great. We have really great board members. Like I said, Mona's our chair, Malia's on there. We have Kristen Olson on there. We have very strong, active board members that really support the organization. Um, so that's been really imperative to making sure that we fundraise the dollars that we need to support women. Next question at the mic. 
So I'm a member of Women's Leadership. I know Mona well. I'm an appointee from years ago from under Brown and now under uh, Newsom. I am a advocate for Disability Rights California. Although I'm not interested in running for office because I'm way past that time, I have a friend and a colleague. Oh, no, believe me. But right. Ber Bernie, <laughs> remember Bernie's. Uh, how <laughs> and this no. is Samantha, Dr. Shirley Weber. I actually know a young woman. Remember her name? Her name is Dika McLean. And funding being her most concern, the fact that she has a disability and she has her own podcast, so I know she'll be listening to this one because I'll tell her, listen, she just texts me. Um, everybody here, I'm Central Valley girl, so you represent, and I almost didn't come. So say hello to Mona for me. Fund her, you need to be in touch with Deacon McLean. You're on the animal appointee. My daughter owns two vet clinics. <laughs> mm, we, we, like you said, I'm good at this. And congratulations to you, and you have my support. And I have a lot of friends in Oakland, so tell me the district. Let's talk, and I will see if I can get some help for you. Thank you, ladies. I truly appreciate this. And all the young Thank people you. here, right on. <laughs> okay. So not a question, but more praise. <laughs> Thank you for coming tonight. Did you, so that was just praise. You didn't have a question in mind. Okay, no, that, hey, that's always welcome. All right, thank you. All right, now how about a question at the mic. We have a question, next question. Yeah, I have two if that's okay. Um, so last, uh, last semester, I'm a, um, my name is Valeria. I'm a first year at um, CSUS. Yeah, so this is my second semester even being in Sacramento. I'm from San Jose, um, but I started, I liked, doing informational interviews. So I started doing informational interviews last semester, and I had the opportunity to do one with some civic um, engagement from the, um, the mayor's office here in downtown. And um, one of the things that really stood with me, um, what they said is like, um, he said that, oh, being a woman and being in policy, like, you really have to be, like, and he said, like, a yes man. So, like, I wanted to just, like, see if you all think that's true. Like, do you have to be, like, a yes man? Can you say who told you that, or is that... This was, like, in August. I don't remember his name. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Someone higher, high up, though? Um, no, so, like... I wanted to like in like informational interview the mayor, but like I got an email from like someone who worked around him. So I was just like that was one of his staffers. Yeah. Okay. Well yeah. let's see, panels. What do you have to respond to that? Who would like to start? Yeah, do you have to ask Samantha? Samantha. Uh I've found this is Samantha that the biggest contributions that I've been able to give are when I can voice an honest and accurate opinion. Because at the end of the day, as a professional, that's what people trust about you. And while you need to be, you know, happy if someone's going to do something for you, you know, I know like sometimes scheduling or, you know, they need details, so I don't want to get into that. But just from a, like a professional, like be true to yourself, the most rewarded I've ever been in my career is when I've been honest about the issues I'm seeing, about the holes that there are and being comfortable using my voice to speak up because that's really what they want to hear. And before you respond, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to add to your question because I do feel like there's maybe there's still um, some fine line. This came up actually in the, the previous Women in Charge event we had with Christine Pelosi talking about that line between 
being outspoken and then being getting the backlash for being too outspoken. So in terms of this yes man and, and voicing your opinion, you know, is there, do you expect backlash? How do you handle that? So I just want to add that on to um, a question for the rest of you who, who would like to answer that. So anyone else on the panel? Melanie? I would just say, I think that is a good flag that there is definitely a balance as you're moving through your career. Work, I, my, as from my experience, I worked very hard I did my best and executed well, and I was always proud of my product. I, I can say I was a yes person. I did all the things. I worked really hard to do them well, and I did them within my value set. As I was working in and around the building, one thing I recognized is that I need to understand my moral compass and what my value set was. And if I was being asked to do something outside of that, that's a time that I can stand up. Or it when you work in and around the legislature, you have a decision sometimes about who you're going to work for. Research those legislators, research those lobbying firms, research those organizations, and if you're someone that wants to work on things that you care about, make sure that organization or that elected official is doing that work too. That was something that was always very important to me. So I worked very hard for my first elected official, uh, Dave Jones. I was with him in the California State Assembly and then in the insurance commissioner's office with him for 11 years. I call that like 33 dog staffer years because no one's ever with their members for that long. Um, and I worked uh, very hard for him. And there, there was really no times. He was a very great principled person that I was very aligned with. So that didn't come up that often. But just working every day with colleagues and staff, I made sure that I was working within my value set. Lindsay. And I just want to add um, to Melanie's point is um, also building the infrastructure around you and the support system with you is going to help you find that job that is within your value set. So um, yeah, like yes, you're, you, um, you might be in the position where you want to be that yes woman, but and hopefully it's around an organization or a person that is aligned with your values and, you, um, and having a support system infrastructure to lead you to those opportunities where you can work for those great people that uh, you align with is really important um, because you, this is a very high stakes game. We have impacts in people's lives. And so you want to make sure that at the end of the day that you're happy with the work that you do and can look at yourself in the mirror and be proud of um, you and the organization or the person that you work for. Did you have a, did you have a part, was that a part one and you had a part two? Oh, or? it's a different question. Um, so yeah, I'm in college. I want to like find ways to like open doors for for myself. I just wanted to get your guys' advice on like what should a college student do on and off campus to like, you know, like kind of get different perspectives on like um, policy, public policy and like running for office and stuff. Esmeralda. Being a recent college student from, I graduated from Cal with my degree in social welfare, go Bears with anyone in the room. Um, but something that I did um, in college that I encourage everyone here to do um, and that you've heard being said is I joined a, 
a commission from my city that I was in. So I joined the Oakland Youth um, Advisory Commission in Oakland when I was in college. Um, and that was a great entry point for me because I saw how bureaucratic everything was in Oakland when you tried to advocate for youth needs. Um, and that is actually very more simpler than we'd like to think about it. Um, yes, there's an application process, there's an interview process, but at the end of the day, you're there to make a difference for the community that you want to. Um, so that's a great entry point for um, getting a little bit to know more about the local bureaucratic system. Um, also interning for anyone that uh, you feel connected to or have the same morals as you. I ended up interning for Congresswoman Barbara Lee, who speaks for me, um, in Washington, D.C. I think CSU um, also has a similar program to the UCDC program where you go to DC, you do an internship, and you can get school credit for it. Um, so those are two opportunities you can do, and we can definitely chat more. I definitely highly encourage you to join the CSU Sacramento Ignite chapter and then come to our conference on Sunday, March 29th. Yes. <laughs> Melanie. I'm impressed doing informational interviews and meeting folks in and around, um, if you're interested in policy and politics in the world is so great to do. And I can say that at every step of the way for me here in my career, from my internship to my first job, to my next and next job, to this job, I had people supporting me and who I can go to as mentors because I had been doing those informational interviews from day one. So grab my card, I'm happy to sit with you because what happens is if you sit with me and you tell me what your interests are, I can tell you three other great women and people to meet with. And I know that that's generally the culture in and around the building. I've had such a great experience with people who, who work here and who wanna support. Lindsay. And I just wanted to um, echo what Melanie said. I think we're all happy to spend um sit with you and talk to you and see um how we can support you and um get you to where you want to be so just wanted to yeah. do that yes and i i thank you very much for the questions and thank you for coming out i know there's a few students in the audience so shout out to you for taking time i know there's other things vying for your time so appreciate you coming out so future future leaders thank you and we may have another future leader coming up at the mic with a great question Hi, I'm Riley. I'm a high school student at uh, Bella Vista High School. Um, uh, so I think that sometimes in politics, especially with women in politics, uh, women often get like a bad reputation uh, and come across or come across to people in the audience as uh, too opinionated or um, too, I guess, forceful with their words. How would you, how would you recommend um, starting your career or starting to think about politics in high school, especially when the the mindset is a lot more narrow-minded uh, toward politics and having more, um, having broader views. Who's gonna start? Let's see, we can, we'll, go, we'll start with Esmeralda and then work our way this way. Esmeralda first. Um, so, Ignite has curriculum for the high school level. That's when I started doing this program. Um, and I think it's just believing in yourself, being authentic to yourself. And at the end of the day, everything's political. And that's not something that at the high school level we sometimes understand. I always love to bring up the example of um, potholes on the street 
we hate when our cars go over potholes. Uh, one of my friends said that Oakland potholes change your radio station and unlock your doors. That's how bad they are in Oakland. Um, but at the end of the day, you find something in your community that you care about. You find something that pisses you off. And people are going to tell you and shun you down all the time and for no reason. So I would just say stay true to yourself. And especially in the high school level, there's people around you that truly believe in you and want to see you succeed and you just looked at someone so hopefully that person that you saw really wants to help you succeed and really make a difference in your community just surround yourself with those strong powerful women because at the end of the day you're going to need on uh, need to lean on each other's shoulders a lot yeah. melanie one of the things that i felt i heard in your question was this issue that comes up that i feel that i won't speak for all of us but i cringe and my team does when we see issues of electability for women and viability for women. And why at every turn do we have to see a new article article about every single woman candidate and her electability? I, I challenge anyone to find an article about a male candidate and his electability. We are still in a mind frame that women maybe should not be the ones in this, these leadership positions. And until all of us start to see a culture shift and work on that together and bring our authentic selves to our candidacies, and I'm looking at my fact sheets, I'll, I have over 100 elected women in office. The more women we see in elected office who are gonna break that mold and break that myth around women and electability is when you don't have to hear in high school that you need to act a certain way as an elected official or a candidate. Samantha. And I think we heard this in this question and the question previous as well. There's a lot of genderization when it comes to how you're supposed to respond or how you have to format a, an email. And I always kind of learned a professional lesson. If you want to say F you, just say thank you twice. You're much better off for it. Um, but I do think that electability has termed for women as likability. And it is something that we actually face, and I don't want to discredit it. When you look at the women who ran for presidential office, there was a big swath of them when we first started. And some of the women who I think are baller boss women felt like they had to soften it up. And I don't know that it did them any services. And so I think to Melanie's point, as Melda's point, is if you're true to yourself, at the end of the day, you're representing a community and they're putting their trust in that and being comfortable that that's your authentic self, that's really what's going to get you through. But I don't want to, I don't want to just make the point because it's really true and I think we're seeing it at any time a woman runs for office, they have to be likable before they can be electable. The more women we get into office, the less that becomes sort of that criteria. And Lindsay. And I'll just add really quickly that to a point that Samantha made when we we're talking about skills to, uh, that you're electable or um, I guess likable, but mostly electable and being successful is perseverance and thick skin. Um, you got to, again, it's going, leaving, um, kind of piggybacking off of, um, or piggybacking off of um, being your authentic self, but you also just know that. Um, you got to, there's going to be hard days, there's going to be days that you have, seems like the world is against you and that you, um, your opinions are wrong or what you're doing is wrong, but if you really have a vision and you know that you're doing it for the right reasons and you're true to your values, stay persistent and it pays off and that's what makes um, people successful and just um, generally um, in life as well. So um, yeah, just 
perseverance, I think, and thick skin, like we've mentioned before, is really great. And the infrastructure. I would say that I'm only up here because of the women that supported me, for sure. That is 100%. So leaning on each other and supporting each other when we become successful, making sure that we're pulling others up behind us and supporting those that are on their way up, I think is a really important thing to put in our value sets, is that when women succeed, when you succeed, and women succeed, other women will succeed. So making sure that that's part of something that we think about as we grow and um, become leaders ourselves. Oh, quickly, because I, 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 we are running short of time. I know there's a couple of questions, and I do have a follow-up question to yours, actually, because you're talking about likability. But I, I wanted to bring up the issue of social media and messaging, because uh, here in California last year, there was a congresswoman from Orange County, I believe, um, Katie Hill, who got into the spotlight uh, for... A new photo scandal, uh, her husband brought them up, and I, and I guess long story short, she resigned. And she uh, was very vocal, though, when she, uh, during a resignation about um, the double standard, you know, how women are portrayed in a certain way um, compared to men, and visuals, it's a big deal. But it did bring to mind social media, how it's used. And I was reading the story about how Democrats in particular were concerned about how what happened to her um, with the use of social media could make um, potential candidates more reluctant to run for office because they're like, what do I have on my, on my um, Instagram feed that could be used against me? You know, what photos do I have sent to people that they've held on to? So I was wondering, you know, in terms of like uh, social media and the prevalence of it these days, is that something that comes to mind? What happened to Katie Hill? What do you advise uh, people that you work with that are running for candidates? How to use social media and, and to be prepared for? Esmeralda. Uh, the only reason why I want to say really quick is I w was really scared about my personal Instagram as I was running for office. Should I make it private? Should I make it public? Should I take off a post? Maybe it'll be like I'm not qualified enough or this could be taken off the wrong way. And still till this till right now, I still go back and forth between making my personal Instagram public and private um, and making a distinction between this is my personal Instagram and this is my campaign Instagram. Um, not that I'm being different um, and I'm still being authentic in both of them, but it's something that I, because of this Katie Hill thing, it's you have to be very careful about what you're putting out there and not because um, we have to, but you get scrutinized for every little thing. Um, and so it is difficult, but I think at, at the end of the day, um, having that thick skin and having uh, being able to call other women who have ran for office um, or being are currently running for office is definitely a huge help um, because you're both talking about experiences that you're going through together. Samantha. I'd just like to point out that the Congresswoman Hill uh, situation, it was illegal of her husband to distribute any of these photos, and the fallout there was because of illegal activities. Um, social media is hard because, you know, at some point you're controlling the content, but it's also, you know, it's a struggle because how do you break through? So there's a time where you're really pushing because you need to, you know, for likes or, you know, to break through that social media cap you know um but really it's hard to navigate and i think 
you know, as you talk about Esmeralda, your candidacy doing personal versus private, I think it would be really hard to, to navigate those waters, I mean, just given the reality of the situation. Did you have another question at the mic? Thank okay. you. Thank you. And we do have time for one more question. Seems like you're the last one. So I, I bet it's the best one. I hope so. <laughs> um, so you talked about being, your, being real, be yourself. But how do you balance that? Because I can be myself and be real with you guys, to you. But on the other side of the room, I could be rude. Or I can be this and I can be that. So how can you balance that? Because that's just me. Like, I like to get straight to the point. So I'm real to you guys, but I'm rude to them. How do you balance that? How do you balance? Let's see who would like to take that. Melanie? No, I think that's a really good question. One of the things that we train in Emerge California, I mean, obviously it goes deeper than just a trainer comes in, hey, be your authentic self, and then walk away. We actually give you tactics. So when we say be your authentic self, that really means bringing your stories and your lived experiences to your platform, being able to mold your passion into what you're sharing with people is why you're running. And another thing that we look at is you talk about maybe to some people you're being real, other people may perceive you differently. One of the things we talk about is if you are, once you are running for office and you're a candidate, how do you answer people when you get really tough questions about your past or things that have happened in your life? So it's, it is bringing your authentic self and learning some tactics and tricks to be able to deliver in a way that can really help you connect with your voters from the Emerge California standpoint. I think this is Samantha. Um, also remembering too that most people who work in this space, we're all trying to come together because we want something to be better for our communities. And being real about the change you want to see in your community, yes. And then creating a working relationship with these people, second step. Great. Any other question at the mic? Are you running for office or thinking about? Uh, or yeah, well, I pretty much am going to run. It's um, for District 2, um, Del Paso Heights, um, about four years. So. Woo! <laughs> yeah. Yay! So 2024. Yes, so All I right. have a couple so you years. Have, you have some time to. <laughs> yeah. All right. The Emerge California application launches this summer. Oh, I'll be looking out. <laughs> and Lindsay wanted to add something, too. Oh, and I just want to add to that, like, um, just keep in mind when you're approaching different groups and stuff, like, what is your end goal? What do you want to accomplish? Because then people can rally behind that, and that will make you really focused on what you say and um, how you say it, but stay true. And again, but you're pressing through your vision and your values, um, but always keep in mind, what's what? It, why are you doing that? What is the end game? And really ground yourself and... Um, um, I think it'll help you find the path forward. And Samantha? Super last minute, but we also have Sac State College Dems in the house. So if you're looking for a little spot to go and you're in CSUS, there's a good connection just right over there. All right. So, well, yeah, I, I, hope, you, I hope you announce and, and can good luck on the campaign because Del Paso Heights is a lot of activity there. It'd be great to, to see uh, a, such some good change. Yes. Yeah. Thank, Thank you. you. I have... <laughs> and I have one last question because we time always flies. There's always great questions, but I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, take it to you know what we're all 
going to be looking at uh, next week on Super Tuesday, the presidential campaign. And I was wondering what you all up here have learned from the way that the women who have been run, who have run for Democratic, uh, uh, the Democratic uh, nomination for president. Let's see, we've had Elizabeth Warren, Amy Klobuchar, who are still in it, Kamala Harris, Tulsi Gabbard, who I believe is still in it, Marianne Williamson. So that's five women. Am I missing any women who have run? Kristen Gillibrand, thank you, from New York. So six. I was wondering what lessons you have learned when you observed all these women's campaigns, um, what they have used that you would recommend other women that, that you're um, helping to run for office or for appointment, what maybe they, they, they did that you're like, oh, let's not do that, or just you know, what you've learned overall from this uh, campaign so far and the women who have run in it. This is Samantha. Um, again, to that likability point, number one, Kamala Harris was with her when she announced, super, let's go, Kamala. And it was that likability. I just noticed the things that I really loved about her. She's so stern and she can take somebody to task and she is whip smart. It was always a Maya Angelou quote that had to come out first before she felt like she could be really who she was. And so that's just my takeaway. It was, I noticed it was, it felt like in order to soften who she was, she had to kind of come up with something that she could tie in from a shared experience perspective. No criticism, just more of a commentary. I, I did notice it. Melanie. For me, I think as they were talking about their values and the vision that they had for the country, I really love seeing that they those values manifested in how they ran their campaigns. So a lot of them had women in top roles, women in color, women of color in top roles, and really they were practicing what they were preaching in those moments. A campaign is a business; it's an organization. Um, a lot of them paid their staffers. We're seeing campaign staffers be paid in a lot of different ways than when. 15 years ago, I worked on campaigns and it wasn't like that. And so um, I really appreciated that, that the women um, who were running for office not only were sharing their vision, they were manifesting their vision through how they were running their, their campaigns. Also, I think the candidates are being a lot more vocal about what it's like being a woman candidate and starting to call out electability, likability, hey, you didn't ask Pete that question, and really starting to be vocal about the way that women are treated differently as they're running for, running for president. Lindsay. Can I say something that's not as serious? Sure, of course. <laughs> I really, and this is not an endorsement, by the way, but I, have, I really loved um, Elizabeth Warren's uh, selfie campaign. And, and I think it actually made a real difference that she spent and um, spent hours after her rally to meet every single individual that wanted to wait in line and meet with her. Like, I think that says a lot about how, what she thinks about people and their personal opinions and want to make that personal connection and is about the people, every single one of us. I don't know, I just thought that was really smart. Um, and I think that made an impact. And um, I think that, because to me, that's really what it is about, that it is about um, supporting each other and um, making that personal connection. Yeah, that seems to be a relevant point. She's known for the selfie selfie line. And as well, the last but not least, especially since you're running for office, I guess any, any, anything that you've observed, you know, watching these women run, like maybe you have taken into your own campaign strategy or not? 
Well, one thing that I've noticed for sure is that women will get scrutinized for everything and anything, I think, at the end of the day for whatever we do. So why not do it? Why not just go for it? You know, it's going to happen. So just do it proudly. Do it unapologetically. Right. And so I think for me, now that I look back at it, um, Elizabeth Warren's was the first rally that I've ever been to for any presidential election in Oakland, actually. Um, and it was just an amazing experience, I think, for me in particular, because my first rally ever that I went to was for a woman who was running for presidency. Not many people can say that. And so to think about um, the generations that are going to come after us and for them to be able to see that there were six women that ran for the 2020 presidential election is just um, very heartwarming for me. And I think always thinking positive about everything at the end of the day so that we can keep our spirits up and then one day see um, a woman that will lead us in this country. So on that note, we'll end it, but thank you very much, uh, female leaders up here who are training others to be future leaders. Uh, I appreciate your time and the great feedback and comments you had. And thank you, audience, for coming and uh, turning out. And um, we'll wrap it up and call it a night. Thank you very much. You've been listening to California Groundbreakers. Tonight's Groundbreakers Q&A conversation was held on February 27, 2020 at the Russ Room in Sacramento. Thanks to our panelists, Esmeralda Cortez Rosales of Ignite National, Samantha Farmer-Helton of FundHer, Lindsay Nita of California Women Lead, and Melanie Ramel of Emerge California. Thanks also to Russ Room owner Andrea Lapore and her team for hosting this event. Special thanks to our rock star volunteer, Rodrigo Ramirez, for his help managing this event. To Caleb Clark and Nate Graham of Kickstart Audio for recording and producing this podcast. And of course, thanks to you for listening. Find out when our next event is by going to our website, californiagroundbreakers.org.